Yeah, I do present barefoot, but it's not to stand out. It's just like I'm barefoot right now. Uh, you know, uh, I just don't like shoes. And so if shoes make you like shoes are like uh, ties for the feet. You know, I don't like ties. I just don't like feeling constrained is the short answer. And so I like I like to feel free. I think you just created the first tweetable quote. From there you go. <laughs> shoes are like ties for the feet. I call them foot prisons often. Podcast junkies. Episode 68. In case you missed last week, then um, you might want to go back and listen to that. It's our interview with the lovely and talented Amy Schmidauer of Savvy Sexy Social. And she talks about um, how she built up her presence on YouTube and is now parlayed that into a ton of speaking gigs, and now has also added a podcast to the mix. So it's a fascinating hour-plus discussion about um, some fun stuff, some really interesting um, tips on, on marketing, and some just valuable nuggets of wisdom, and I think you'll really enjoy that. So check that out. Uh, 67 with Amy. This week, we speak to uh, my friend and uh, also someone who is my coach. His name is Taki Moore. He's based out of Australia. And um, when I say that, he's just just has a positive impact, uh, a positive outlook, sorry, on life and um, the way he runs his business. It's really something that's um, you have to you have to experience it live to, to get the full effect. But if you I think a, a lot of it will come across in this interview. If you happen to be new to the show, then you're probably probably wondering um, who are these people that I mentioned or um, why should I be listening to the show? And, and that's a good question to ask because as podcasters, I think it's important for us to set the stage and, and put out the welcome mat for new folks. And so uh, longtime listeners will know that I do this on the regular. And um, again, if you're new, then this is what I call the podcaster's voice. It's a way for me to interact with uh, fantastic and engaging um, friendly, fun chats with um, podcasters who I'm always on the lookout for or I, I have a relationship with or I've met before or are friends of mine or have been referred to me or any and all of the above and some future ways of connecting that I haven't even thought of yet. And so I bring them onto the show. We talk about an hour, hour plus and uh, have just a really candid and casual conversation. So again, if you've got people in mind that would fit that description, then uh, by all means, send them along. So without further ado, my interview with uh, the one and only Taki Moore, my mate. Uh, first off, thanks thanks for joining joining us on, pod, on, on Podcast Junkies. I'm stoked to be here. We're going to have a laugh. <laughs> um, one of the things you talked about in um, one of the, uh, the, the all-day intensives, and, and for the listener's benefit, uh, you are my coach, my business coach, and uh, yeah. now over the course of a year and a half, I'm glad to call you a good friend as well. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm, I'm always learning from you, and um, you seem to always be um, a constant student. Yeah. And uh, so I was wondering, um, you had an interesting takeaway when during one of our sessions, and we where you talked about uh, how CrossFit was uh, an interesting parallel for people. Uh, when it comes to looking at their their students or just having people have a great experience from day one, yeah, and uh, I think if you're 
if you've got your eyes open, there's lessons everywhere, right? Like everything that happens every day, you can analyze. And some of them are more obvious than others. So uh, four years ago, I, 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 I'm never in shape, right? Like I, I, I love food. I'm not like I'm thin, but like it's just genetics is not because I do anything kind of to support that. And uh, four years ago, I was working out with a mate of mine called Adrian Rainey. And Rainey, if you listen to this, big shout out. He's mad as a mad as a hatter and just hilariously fun. And uh, so Rainey and I used to work out you know, three or four days a week down at the beach. And he used to talk about this thing called CrossFit. And the way he talked about it, Harry, sounded like sounded like Fight Club. You know, like this this you know, elite thing that happened kind of in a secret room somewhere that you weren't really allowed to talk about. And it was all, it sounded, it sounded hardcore and kind of mysterious. Anyway, so eventually he says, you know, I think you, I think you're ready. You should come with me to CrossFit. I'm like, okay. But like, are you sure I'm ready? Cause I was scared. Like the way he talked about it, it sounded like seriously like fight club. And, uh, I get there and it's run by this, this guy called Bass and, uh, Bass, if you're listening, no shout out for you. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, there's like six or seven of us, and the first thing Bass does, okay, uh, mate, welcome. This is your first time, so I need you to sign the waiver. So I sign the waiver, and uh, basically says that you know, if I die, it's it's my fault, not Bass's, right? And uh, so the, there's two parts of the workout. There's like a, a fitness component, which we did first, which was uh, I don't know if in the US they have the the beep test. Do they have that? Is it like a timer? Like, or? Yeah, it's like basically every ten, you've got to run ten meters again okay. and again, it's a bit like that. So it's like a fitness thing, and I get like. It's 20 rounds, and I get 17 rounds through, and, and it goes, you know, I'm feeling pretty prof- you know, proud that I actually made 17 rounds, and everyone else is looking at me like I'm not going to lose it, but whatever. And then the guy goes, okay, boys, well done. I'll, I'll put on my Lebanese accent because he's Lebanese. He goes, all right, boys, well done. Uh, that was a good warm-up. Now it's time to work on our handstand push-ups. And I've gone, oh, crap, bass, bass. Um, two small problems. I can't do a handstand or a push-up. And... <laughs> And it's, that should have been my warning sign that this next activity wasn't for me. But he goes, no, don't worry. Come with me. You'll be fine. Uh, sure enough, not so fine. About 12 seconds later, I'm upside down. And instead of my arms supporting me, you know, like in a handstand position, my arms kind of collapsed. My head took the weight. And my neck is bent off to the side. My legs are all kind of bent around. And I got stuck. Like I physically it was hilarious now at the time, really painful, mostly in the ego department. Anyway, so I'm stuck and I can't fall over. And I, like all my friends are laughing at me. And they wanted to put videos of it up on YouTube. So uh, first experience CrossFit, not so good. Uh, I'll make this story short because I know that we've, uh, you know, you've got other stuff to talk about, I'm sure. Anyway, so I, I was like, dude, I'm never going back to CrossFit. I had like sore neck for five days, just not, not in a good way. And uh, so the start of this year, I'm working out, I'm kind of hanging out with a mate of mine, Lawrence, who's a black belt client as well. And... We, we, we're thinking about CrossFit, I'm like, uh, and I'm scared because of this story, but let's have a try. So we go to this other gym and they say, so here's how it works. And I told them the story and I said, like, here's the deal. Uh, if, we do, if you even mention the words handstand push-up, I'm out. And uh, they said, no, no, here's how it works here. We've got this three-week course that every new person goes through called OnRamp. And in OnRamp, you've got to, uh, you know, we teach you the basic moves. It's at the set time each day and there's these kind of uh, it was three days a week, so there's nine foundational skills that we need to build in before you're ready for a real class. And it's awesome. And so they introduce us to kind of the tribe and the, and the way it works and the kind of the culture, the culture and, the, and the rituals of CrossFit. And at the end of three weeks, you feel you know, like you've actually accomplished something and then you're kind of ready to graduate into the rest of the class. Anyway, so they did heaps of stuff right. But the big lesson I got about that was um, the way you onboard a new client is really, really important. You know, you can 
uh, sell them some stuff and dump them in with everyone else and hope that they swim, or you can build an on-ramp, like a, a way to get somebody from you're parked in a side street up to your freeway or, or highway level quickly uh, in a way that has them kind of feel the love. And that's, uh, you know, that was kind of the big lesson. And so I've been kind of busy applying that uh, for the last six months in our business, kind of this on-ramp idea. And it was funny, I just did a, a game plan session with a brand new client and I finished, you know, two minutes before we started chatting. Um, and she said, like she's been with me for a week and a half and she said, uh, she's paid what, 20 grand or something like that. And she says, uh, I've already got my money's worth. Just the way you onboarded me was incredible. We're modeling that. And I learned it straight from like falling on my neck at CrossFit. So thank you, uh, Bass, for starting the journey. <laughs> so I, I mean, obviously, from knowing you for a while now, you're the type of person who um, seems to gravitate towards people who uh, have learned a lot before you and have gone before you and have done bigger things and you seem like to be always be a sponge like you're always taking on the new yeah. lesson and so is that like a trait that you've always had in your life where you're just like you know who who can you think of as you think back um of your first um experience with someone that you would call like a mentor or a teacher yeah it's, uh, there's a couple but the one that first came to mind is actually interesting i uh i lived in brazil for a year when I was 17 and 18, I went there to chase a girl to live with her forever and we split up like two weeks later and I had too much pride and ego to kind of admit defeat and come back to Australia is kind of the, the backstory. In the middle of that, I met this guy called Adele and he's married to uh, – sorry, he's, his sister is married to my cousin. So that's kind of a distant family relation. And Adele's a pilot and he had this nickname and his nickname was uh, Curioso, which means curious, so in Portuguese. And, and so I got to spend quite a bit of time with Adele and uh, fascinating guy. You know, literally, uh, his dad was a slave, like like an actual slave. Like that's wow. so they came they came from nothing, right? Uh, he became a uh, an international pilot, um, traveling all around the world, built a really successful business, uh, speaks and and trains and, and gives people heaps of yeah heaps of inspiration. And he said that when he was a kid, he well he had no money and a dream, and so he used to literally hang at the side of the you know, along the fence of the airport, just kind of hanging onto the. The, um, the fence, just looking through at airplanes, and, and people would get to know him. And, uh, and eventually, uh, one of the pilots said, hey, do you want to come and have a look at the plane? It's like, oh, could I please? And, and, like, and so we got to go check out a plane, and he'd, he'd do little stuff. Like um, he'd bring, I think, like the, the lunch boxes of the pilots to the plane and just like help out in tiny ways. And then the, the, they get to hang around, and he'd get to like clean the plane. And he was just as insanely curious everywhere he went. And so he wasn't like a business mentor for me, but he – he role modeled curiosity better than anyone I, I knew. And when I was 17, that was like really pivotal. Hey. And so, uh, you, would you say that he's one of, he was, um, uh, just, just in terms of the way he carried himself, was that, was that what attracted you to him? Yeah. Uh, he carried himself incredibly well and he knew how to control a conversation, but every conversation you had with him was all about you. And so he was incredibly interested and curious but he could also take a conversation anywhere he wanted by asking the right questions. And so he uh, – just a fascinating guy. Uh, his, da his dad, you know, um, Apollonio, the ex-slave, is a, a remarkable guy as well. And kind of those two were pretty pivotal at that time. I think my uncle Rolf uh, was another early, early mentor. And I've always kind of – I don't like theory that much, but I love learning from people who are doing stuff. And so uh, a few years ago, I heard – uh, this distinction about the difference between uh, just-in-case learning, which is where you learn a bunch of stuff every every course and read every book you can just in case you ever need it. And it, it, it feels like learning is 
you know, it feels like it's learning, but it's really not. It's just filling ahead with content uh, versus just-in-time learning. And just-in-time learning is I, I have this need right now. Now that I know I need that, let's go and study everything we can about this particular topic. I read an article yesterday about Apple. Apparently, Apple's got like a tiny R&D budget, like 30% smaller than all of these other big companies. And you think, dude, how, how does Apple do that? And Apple doesn't do research for research's sake. It decides oh, we're going to build an iPod and then they study about that. I think that's mm. kind of it's kind, it's cool. So when did you when was the moment that you realized that um, you would be better served helping other folks with their business as opposed to working in a cubicle? <laughs> I had a cubicle experience and I I wasn't very good at it. Um, my mom was always trying to I mean she still is she's always trying to help us out and uh, and so I got back from Brazil. You know, where it's been like a year and a half or something like that. And uh, she goes, I've got you this job interview. I'm like, all right. And I, so I don't know how it works in America, but here they have like local government, like uh, local, like the city government. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I got a job at the city government in the administration and laws department. And so if you know anything about me, like I'm the least admin guy you've probably ever met. And the law, like I was about, I was in charge of compliance for a, for a, ridiculously boring organization and I, I sucked at this job and uh, they ended up allowing me to transfer to the customer service department so I could talk to people because I was going quietly insane and, and then I was in this even smaller cubicle but at least there was kind of three other people to chat with and I just I remember even then reading in the local paper ads ads that coaches had put out uh, you know to kind of become a coach and I was like wow that's fat. and I just there was something in it about it that had just like hooked me at age like 17 18 19. I, I really enjoy working with other people, but I'm I'm not very good at it. Uh, my last boss is a guy called Grant, and he and I are just great mates. And the best thing he ever did with fire was fire me, and uh, he just did it with such class. And we're still incredible friends. Um, but he just scratches his head and has got no idea how it's turned into this. He's like, you know, I, I flew up to Brisbane from Sydney, which is like an hour flight, to go do two days of sales meetings that I'd booked, you know, the week before or whatever. And I got there and realized I didn't have the names, addresses, contact details, or the times of any of the 14 people I was meant to see in the next two days because I'd written them on a piece of paper over, on the right-hand corner of my desk in red pen. And so I had to like ring the office and say, hey, can you take a photo of the – yeah, it's embarrassing. I'm not very good at that stuff. But you said uh, that you're not very good at working with people – uh no I'm yeah that's maybe, probably yeah maybe, yeah right. maybe but yeah because the I think the flip side of it is that you're actually really good at um helping like extract the the like the latent genius in people yeah that's true I think one of the things I've I've learned is how much more fun and effortless things are when you find your genius, you know, when you find what you're really good at, what you, what you love, what you're curious about, what you, what you could pretty much, like I could do this forever. And, uh, and how much friction there is when you're not playing in your sweet spot. And so I think I, I'm not good at working, maybe I'm not good at working at following somebody else's structure, but I'm really good at creating structures for other people and helping other people work out, you know, flows that work for them. That's probably a better way of explaining it. How, um, what kind of student were you? Uh, enthusiastic, distracted. I was a 51 percenter. So I do just enough. And I, I mean, I got good, like goodish marks. I never like, I got an A once in maths and the teacher swore I cheated. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do just enough. Like I was, I was bright and I could, I was 
fairly articulate so I could get my message across. And so I'd usually get kind of 80% without trying very hard. And yeah, that was that pretty much sums me up very well. My Would report it- card was always, you know, Taki, uh, Taki's really smart and he could benefit from focusing more in class. What did you What did you think you were going to do when you were in high school, when you got out? Uh, two things. Uh, first, I was thinking pilot. Um, and I was thinking uh, right at the end of high school, you know, when you put in for university, kind of here's what I want to do next at, at uni or college. Uh, I was thinking industrial design. My, my big role model growing up was my uncle Rolf, who was a, uh, an industrial designer, he built uh, furniture and yachts and a special ultra lift parachute that the Italian paramilitary used and all of this cool stuff. And he was like my, my role model, my hero. And uh, so I put in for industrial design at three different unis, you know, the best ones in Australia. I got in, I got accepted by all three, which was awesome. Uh, and the moment I saw my name in the paper, you know, that I'd got into the course that I wanted, I realized actually, I don't really want that at all, but that was just so I could be like Rolf. And so I put, took, yeah, took a year off, went to Brazil. Uh, it was kind of how it all happened. So I guess um, you know everything happening for a reason. The mm. the love interest in Brazil didn't pan out, but uh, yeah, I think it it un, it was spectacularly unsuccessful. <laughs> but uh, looking back at it, um, I'm sure there was a uh, some lessons learned, and and I think more importantly, you eventually ended up with your current wife mm. and uh, with uh, with a with a big family Bunch now. Of right? kids. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> six six kids. Uh, Currently, uh, between six years old and 26, so it's a big span. And uh, yeah, they're all like what I, I find it so fast. They're all so different. I mean, I guess everyone says that, but they're, they're compl- like but two little girls who are like uh, eight months apart. Don't ask me how that works. It just, it just did. And uh, they went to uh, school disco a couple of months ago, and you could dress up as anything you want. And so one of them, Aroha, who's, who's uh, slightly older, uh, went as a Disney princess, you know, like the you know the, the dress and the the, the high heels and like the whole shebang. And uh, Jacinta went as Spider Man. And uh, so these two, you know, they couldn't be more different, right? And and, and it was a toss up because it was either going to be Spider Man or she's got a full Darth Vader suit, including helmet, and that was a very close second. So they're just incredibly different. But you know, being a being a dad is really fun. So what's I think what's always been interesting for me is that um, because of your program you have to do a lot of traveling i mean you yeah. you basically run black belt from uh, australia and then in the states as well and then you, yes. do, you do three events um live events no six live events probably if you, if you yeah. think yeah in 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 both sites and yes. uh on occasion i've i've seen your, your kids but i think um i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about um what goes through your mind in terms of how you plan where you want to be when in relation to the toll it may or may not have in, w- with a family that big? Yeah. So I think that, that I mean, it's, it's tricky, right? Um, you know, the family's that big. Luckily, I mean, there's six kids. Three of them are big, like in their 20s and, and working and doing their own thing. So uh, even though it's six, it's really like two threes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's three littlies, three biggies. <clears throat> um, of the three littlies, uh, Ethan's got cerebral palsy and autism and, and uh, epilepsy, lots of uh, physical needs. Araha is incredibly articulate and somewhere on the, I mean, there's some spectrum going on somewhere in our world, right? It just shows up. <clears throat> so it, when we do travel, we've got to do it well. And so the, the first thing is how do we bring the kids with us as many times as we can? And so out of the three trips a year we do to the States for work, at least one, the kids will come, hopefully two. 
They're at a school right now where the principal doesn't seem to love us pulling them out of school that much. And I tried to do the argument that, well, we're paying the fees anyway and it just makes the class sizes smaller, so isn't that a good thing? And he didn't think that was a good idea. Um, he said that we need to ask for permission to pull the kids out. I don't, I don't really do permission, <laughs> you know? So we're not quite eye to eye on that. And so, we've, I mean, right now we're in the, in the process of like, do we just kind of buy a teacher who just travels with us and they just kind of make the whole thing just like the kind of the traveling circus of the moors, you know? Uh, I think that'd be easy. How do we plan it? Uh, well, one of the things we do at the, at the end of every year, so kind of uh, late October we, we did it, uh, is we think about the new year. And so we kind of get a blank calendar and we think about uh, both personally and business-wise, what are the big rocks? And so the big rocks, you know, if you take Steve Covey's metaphor of, you know, big rocks first and then pebbles and then sand, uh, the big rocks family-wise are like vacations, holidays. See how I'm, I'm translating into American English for you. Like we call them holidays. <laughs> Do you think holidays is like the 4th of July and stuff? For me, that's vacation. Anyway, okay. um, so we, we think about uh, holidays and, um, and then what's the big thing that really drives income in our business? And it's this two-day event that we run. Um, and so let's get those things in first. So we look at the school calendar. So we've got school holidays there plus our own you know, travel time. And our goal is four months a year traveling around the world somewhere with the kids. Now, there's not four, four months of school holidays, so we've got to you know, break the rules a little bit there. Um, but four months a year traveling around the world with the kids. Um, and usually what we'll do is we'll, if we, if we have some time off, we'll put a, a work event, you know, like our black belt event or a million dollar coach intensive as a start or the end of the holiday. Uh, and then we'll take the rest as break. And that works mostly pretty well. Sometimes it gets a bit gray where it's like, is this a holiday? Is this work? You know, so you got to kind of balance that. I think one of the things I want to do better next year is less gray, more black and white. Um, is this answering the question at all? I feel like I'm yeah. waffling a bit. No, definitely. So um, big rocks. Go ahead. Uh, and then just like uh, one of the things we do is like we map out all of the vacations, like all of the time that we want to be not working. And then the, the way we do it, Karen Marie and I, is like I pick the when and she picks the where. So she's got, she's got a list of places she wants to visit. And uh, usually most of them are like hot and tropical and some of them are about you know, giving back. Uh, and so I, we just together block out the – the time. And so there's kind of, if you look at our calendar, there's these big green slabs for like a month at a time when we're away and she gets to put the country in. So there's there's listeners that are starting their own thing that are in the middle of their own thing and that are successful with their own thing. But in your experience, um, I wonder if you could talk a bit about why the planning is important and what mistakes you've seen people do in the past when they think about this concept or maybe the fact that they don't even plan um, yeah. and, and having worked with so many people, where do you think uh, people who are new to this concept get it wrong? Yeah. Well, I think there's a bunch. So why don't I kind of try to rattle off as quick as many as I can and then we'll dig in if any of them are useful. So uh, first thing is kind of just not planning and most of us do that, right? So we we get into next year and we, we just kind of run really, really hard until we run out of steam and we say we need a break. Well, what if we plan the breaks first? I think the first thing is just not having a plan. Uh, the second thing we often do, and I've been guilty of this in the past, is just uh, photocopying last year into this year. You know, so it's like, well, I did three events and it would look like this, so let's just do that again. Well, that's cool. But what if there were some things you wanted to change about last year? Let's just not repeat the same thing again and again and again. Um, third thing is making a plan, like having some goals 
and ha- and having a plan but not connecting the two. I know that sounds really stupid, but we do it all the time. Like most of us are really good at feel good visioning, you know, where we visualize what we want and we're really crap at like act, you know, uh, turning that plan and, and operationalizing it. So if that's my goal, what does my year need to look like to do that? And I've got this this saying that your cash flow follows your calendar. Like so if you want things to be different financially next year, then like show me your diary, your calendar and let's just see if that actually shows up and if it's not then we need to change it. Uh, one of the, one of the mistakes I made a couple of years ago was building a plan and not doing a stress test. Like if I actually hit my goals, uh, what, what breaks in this calendar of mine? Like we hired a, a great coach. His name's Adam and, and you know him really well. And the original plan was that Adam was going to do like one-on-one calls with everybody once a month. And that's a great plan until you like double your business. And then like Adam's like gasping for air going, holy crap, man, can you stop growing? And like, so we need to switch the model. Um, there's a few, I think. Uh, but the big one really is is most of us are reactive. Like I'm not a planner by nature. It's it's you know, I've got a friend called Dale who's like super organized, and, and he sat me down at the end of a year five years ago and 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 showed me how to do it. And so for the first two years, I did it with Dale, and now I do it myself, and I do it with clients. But the first thing is is think about if you don't plan, right? So it's Christmas time coming up soon. Uh, I don't know how it is in the Northern Hemisphere, but down here, everything shuts off pretty much from like just before Christmas for a month almost. And people come back around Australia Day, January 26, about a month off and they're like, you know, yawning like a bear coming out of hibernation. And so by the time that's happened, it's already, we're a month into the year and then it takes them like a couple of, a couple of weeks to get their crap together. And by the time you know, it's like it's March and you're still trying to figure out who you are. Um, and so we spend our whole year kind of getting bounced around from from idea to idea, uh, you're chasing the next shiny object. And like we always, it's tiring because you always have to like think and rethink and think and rethink. And instead of that, if, if we took some time like uh, October or November or December, like right at the end of the year and we planned out everything out. So I've got my, like you've got it, the entire year planned out for next year. All of the thinking's been done. So next year, you don't have to think at all. You just do with the plan. And uh, the next time you have to think is like November next year. Um, it's liberating to think one time and then just like, I don't know if you've ever had this, but I, like, I used to think, wouldn't it be cool to have like a factory job where you just didn't have to think? You know, like you just kind of punch widgets or, you know, like you press buttons or whatever it is and at five o'clock, down tools and off you go and you can leave all the, it'd be fun for like a day, I reckon. <laughs> maybe not, maybe like an hour. It's great in theory. But the idea of not having to think and rethink it, I think is really attractive. So if we can think once at the end of the year and then next year not have to think anymore, just like follow the plan, life gets really easy kind of lay some train tracks and just jump on them and off we go. Yeah, it seems like uh, that idea of being the clock puncher, um, I think a lot of people struggle with wondering if that's all they're meant to do. Yeah. And so, you know, do you ever have conversations with people who are in their clock, nine punching. Of, in their clock punching mode and yeah. then say, Taki, um, maybe I'm just you know, maybe I'm meant to do that because I need the structure. And is, is there something, or is there a process or is there a Q&A that you go through and say to figure out if they have what it takes? Because you, you know, you've lived through it yourself, what it takes yeah. to, to be, be an entrepreneur, as glamorous as it sounds, it's not those Dude, first, if I those first couple. Dude, how much hard work was involved up front, like I wouldn't have pulled the trigger. So, you know, uh, yeah, so I'm wondering what, you know, when, when you have those conversations with people who are in that, in that um, transitory, tr- transitionary um, phase, yeah. like, what do you tell them? So I think there's, I've never really thought about it. So I, top of mind, two things come to mind. The first thing is like, most of us can't help it. 
you know, like if you're in a nine to five and it's just driving you completely bananas, then frankly, you're not going to be able to stick at it. So we need to find something else. And I know this is particularly strategic advice, but like I was just a crap employee, just rubbish. Like not, I know all entrepreneurs say, yeah, I'm unemployable. I was, I was really well-meaning, but just not that good. Um, so the first thing is like, are you built to be an entrepreneur? I don't know. It's more like, can, you know, do you want to be way more free than you are right now? Um, and you know, do you? Because some people work better with others, right? I, I definitely work better in a team, but I, I don't work really well in a in an environment that's regimented like that. So the first thing is like, can you stick at it the way it is? And if you can, just do that and kind of there's ladders to climb and, and bonuses and, and raises and all that sort of stuff. So maybe that's cool. But if you if you go, you know what, I'm actually not this employment thing isn't for me, then the next thing is, well, let's make sure you've got, actually got an idea that's viable because how many people start a, start a thing that's got no legs, right? Um, yeah, so there would be, be the two places I'd look at. You know, like, can, you, can you be happy doing a job? And if you can, do it. Like my mom's happy as, happy as Larry in a job. She, she totally loves it. Uh, and then secondly, if you decided to go out, let's just make sure that your idea's got legs. You know, you know does, it problem, does it solve a problem that, that people are willing to pay for uh, in a big enough quantity? I think that's, that's where to start. A lot of times people are afraid to start something because they look out at what's existing now and they see a lot of people doing what they would like they to do. To. Yeah. yeah. So the good news is you don't have to be the best in the world. Uh, you just got to be the best in in that person's world, right? So the first thing is like, uh, are there other people who, I don't know, uh, like say you want to be a I don't know, a copywriter or a marketing consultant or, so, or something or a guitar teacher? Are there other guitar teachers? Of course, but do you need to be the best guitar teacher in the world to make a living out of it? No, you just have to like find some people who, and just be the best guitar pe- person in their world, and they're going to choose you. It's I mean, like the world needs lots of almost everybody, right? Uh, you're like real estate agents. Uh, we need millions of them, not just like one. So the uh, so first thing is you don't have to be best in the world, just best in their world. And the second, the second thing is sometimes it's actually good if there's other people doing what you want to do because it says that there's a market. You know, yeah. the, best, the best place to put a restaurant is in the, in the middle of a restaurant strip because you know that people already go there to get food. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I wouldn't be threatened by that. Now you, now you just want to be doing it in a way that is noticeably different and better than everybody else. Like uh, present barefoot. Yeah, I, mean, I do present barefoot, but it's not to stand out. It's just like I'm barefoot right now. Uh, you know, uh, I just don't like shoes. And so if shoes make you like shoes are like uh, ties for the feet. You know, I don't like ties. I just don't like feeling constrained is the short answer. And so I like, I like to feel free. I think you just created the first tweetable quote. From there you go. Shoes are like ties for the feet. I call them foot prisons often, but ties – we're thinking about cubicle slaves. I think ties is the the obvious color. Uh, I mean, but it, 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 I thought it was funny when I first saw it. And I'm wondering if it speaks to some aspect of your personality that is just this freewheeling, like live, n- not that you live life like super carefree, but there, there's something I think uh, that speaks to the fact that you do that, that that's who you are as a person, how you, you've chosen to live your life. Yeah. I think, um, what here's here's the the coolest part about it for me, and and the reason why I, uh, why yeah you know, the the part of me that I think it reveals is, 
you know when you're a kid and you and you play sports and you're the one with the equipment. So like I guess in America you play baseball or basketball and you're the kid who has the ball. Yeah. And so you come to school and 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 uh, let's say it's baseball and you strike out, but it's your bat and it's your ball, so you make the rules. It's a little bit like that. I just, I just kind of realized one day that actually this is kind of it's my deal. Like it's my life, and I could be, I could play by their rules. But like, frankly, isn't it cool that you could just do whatever you want? Um, so like at my workshops, I play. People go, oh, what great playlists you've got? I'm like, well, I don't choose it based on you know popular music. I just pick songs that I like. Yeah. Oh, by the way, thanks for putting me in touch with uh, Busy Earning. That's kind of in my playlist now because you hooked me up. It's good. <laughs> just, um, justice. Yeah, justice. Uh, so it's more about just doing stuff that floats your boat. You know, like if you could if you could have it any way you wanted, how would that be? And then like, oh crap, I actually can do it any way I want. So like I, I wrestled with the sh- the shoes off thing for like two years. Every intensive, I was like, I'd really just love to present this thing barefoot. And like, and then the the voice of you know, parental wisdom in my mind goes, you can't wear no shoes. It's, it's, you know, it's not professional. And after like two years, I was like, this is really dumb. I hate shoes. I don't wear them around the house. I don't wear them down the street. Why on earth would I wear them when I'm like, why would I be inauthentic? Oh, damn it. No shoes. And I remember like halfway through the first day, a guy in the front row goes, holy crap. Like out loud, holy crap. You're not wearing shoes. I'm like, yeah, just live with it, man. So I think it just speaks to more more than freedom, although you know it, it certainly is about freedom for me. But it's more about just expressing myself, just like wanting to be a hundred percent real and not, you know, like not pretend stuff. Like it's just easy to be you. That's all. Yeah, I think too many people um, struggle with that because you know it's harder when you're in a corporate environment. Obviously, there's yeah, if you, real, yeah, real, right? if you showed up barefoot, they're probably going to like es- you know escort you out of the building. Yeah. And I think um, when it's your own thing, I mean, why not do the things that resonate with you and make you feel like you're not trying to conform to some norm? Yeah. So there's this uh, quote, I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson, like some smart American guy (laughs) (coughs) said uh, that the reasonable man tries to adapt himself to the circumstances around him. And the unreasonable man is always trying to adapt the world around him to suit his needs. I'm paraphrasing badly, but you get the idea. So you need to kind of adapt yourself to fit in or you can adapt the world to fit you. And then he says that all you – know, that's why all progress uh, is created by the unreasonable man. And uh, where, I, where I kind of first discovered this a little bit was um, – you know, read a whole bunch of like motivational self-development books, you know, go to Tony Robbins and walk on fire and break boards and all of that stuff. And uh, I got a friend who's really good at NLP and so I like I did some classes with her and I'm like trying to change these habits. And I don't know if I'm the only one, but none of it worked, man. Like none of it worked. I tried everything and so like, you know, I'd, I'd write down my goals and I'd visualize like I'm supposed to and I'm meant to like feel all inspired and I didn't feel anything. And I'm like, oh crap, there's something wrong with me. And I like I tried all these ways to like, change me and uh dude nothing changed like if tony robbins was here i'm sure he'd like click me or, or like snap me or something and i'd and i'd turn into someone else but everything i tried just did nothing and i just got sick of it man i just got like dude this sucks man like i'm trying everything i'm like every book i'm like trying to nlp brain voodoo myself and nothing's working and then i'm like dude this this sucks i can't change me nothing's working what if i just changed the world to like suit me and it's like a really self-centered worldview. It was like, dude, it's way, like, here's what I found. It's way easier to change the world around you than to change yourself. And so I'm just like, well, how do I make the world like perfectly suit 
mate. <laughs> that just sounds horrible. Even no. saying it's like, you know no, what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah. I mean, it's not like you're 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 I'm not like mean to anybody, but I'm like yeah. deliberately engineering the word. Like, here's like let me give you let me give you like six examples from like mm-hmm. around me right now. Um, upstairs, there's a lady called Anna. She's amazing. She loves to have the house spotless. Uh, I, I can't clean anything. Like if you looked around my room right now, it's not so clean. Um, Anna comes every day and she cleans the house. For two hours a day, she just makes things beautiful. Uh, I love good food. Uh, if I eat out all the time like I used to, I get, I, I get unhealthy. Um, I want to eat better. I had a personal trainer for ages who said, like, Tucky, you, know, the, the, you can't out-train a bad diet. So what you need to do is learn to cook. So he comes in and we're doing cooking lessons and like it's fun when he's there, but the moment he leaves, I'm not into it. So it's like uh, six months ago, I Googled paleo chef come to my house, Sydney. Boom. Number one linking, uh, ranking is this dude called Jake. Every Monday, Jake comes to our house and he cooks amazing food. Uh, even the way we structure our time. Um, you know, we put the holidays in first. We go to where we want to go. Uh, why do we run our black belt events in Santa Monica on the beach? Because when I first started Black Belt, I had a, a guy, Walt, if you're listening, I'm talking to you. Uh, Walt used to complain, why don't you run your events at the LAX Marriott? It's so much cheaper. I'm like, well, here's why, Walt, because I'm flying 14 hours to come and I want to be somewhere nice and I want to be by the water because I need to get my shoes off every day and touch the sand and the, and the water. And I don't want to walk around under overpasses and the only food I can see within a 10-minute you know, walk is in and out Burger. That's kind of why. Um, Dude, if you could run your, if you can make your whole world like fit you like a glove, it's fun. It's really, it's really fun. Well, it's interesting. Um, and the nice segue is when it comes to the topic of podcasting, you actually right. do it differently than most people I've, I've I've had on the show because they they okay. come they come at it with the aspect of you know having a full show with topics or they you know solo or interview. But I think, uh, and it speaks to part of the things you teach and how you move folks from one to one to one to many. Um, about doing it in the most efficient way possible, and so I'm okay. wondering if, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit how you got started with podcasting, um, just your your first memories of of starting it with something related to business. Yeah. So, uh, just so I'm really clear, uh, are you looking for first experience like listening to podcasts or like creating my own? No, or, creating or? creating your own. Yeah. Okay. So I've got two shows right now. Um, one's a show and one's like a cheat show that's actually really good. So let me explain. Uh, every month inside Black Belt, you know, the community that we're part of uh, coaching together, I teach great stuff. And uh, I wanted to create a show. I wanted to create amazing content, but I didn't want to have to work very hard, which just seems to be a common theme. And so I, I got, um, you know, our content team, we're lucky enough to have some dudes who, who look after this bit for us, to go through... Uh, you know, great black belt trainings and just pick like a, like a three-minute snippet of awesome. The only, the only rule was it's got to be great. It's got to be short. And so they just take three-minute cuts and they, you know, they promote that. You know, they put that up on iTunes and, you know, as you can tell, I'm really up with the technology. But they like put it on the blog and it turns into a magic happens. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and that's it. Uh, that's if you go to iTunes, that's Coach Marketing Show. No, that's Coach Marketing Machine. Sorry, I know yeah. my own show really well. And then, so then, then, then there's this other podcast I do, which is actually really fun. And I do it with – and so the content on the first one is epic. And the, the framework for the other one, which I think maybe is where you were going with the question, I think, I don't really know, uh, is a podcast I do with one of my best mates. His name is James Shramko, uh, who is actually how you and I met originally. And he was on the uh, show as well. Yeah, he was on the show. Oh, cool. Um, and he and I used to sit down and have 
Burger Friday. So every Friday we'd sit down, we'd go to the beach and we'd buy a burger and just kind of just help each other out with business. And we thought it'd be cool to kind of share some of the conversations and that we both had interesting things to say. Um, and so once we decided we wanted to do a, a podcast together, the next question was, well, we need a, like an angle that's a bit unique and we need, a, we need a way to make the content fast. Is that where you were going, question-wise? Yeah. Okay. So we thought, well, uh, we can each teach our stuff, but there's heaps of people who teach their stuff. What if instead of like teaching theory, we just like each week we just kind of dissected a client case study, um, you know, a client who's doing something really clever, and we just talk about how they did it. And that way, I guess two things happen. Number one, well, three things happen. Number one, it's really easy for us to come up with ideas for content because uh, we work quite closely with our clients and they tell us when something works and we can kind of dissect it. Uh, number two, um, maybe it is just two things. <laughs> <laughs> My brain always comes up with them and then I lose the least important one. So here we go. The second thing that happens is because the show is based around case studies, uh, I've got this belief that, you know, like talking yourself up is kind of awkward. It just feels weird. Like I just don't like like saying, you know, here I am and I'm awesome and you should totally listen to me. I think that's just kind of a bit wanky to be honest. Yeah. And so what we do instead is if I put the spotlight on my client and I, sh- and I help uh, showcase the cool stuff that my client's done, I almost like I make them the king. Uh, then all of a sudden by, kind of, by showing off and putting, making them the hero, I become the kingmaker by default without ever having to just kind of say, look how great I am. And so that kind of, it works that way marketing-wise. What we wanted to do next was like once we had an idea that we we're going to do case studies, kind of just real-world stories, was we wanted to build uh, – I don't know if James did, but uh, he was totally cool with the idea – was just to map out a, a framework so that every episode is um, high-value, fast, effortless to create. Um, and frankly, if you dissect it, every episode is identical from a structure point of view. So what most people think about, they think about creating content. They think about, you know, what do I talk about and what are the words? And I think, I think about architecture. Um, having this conversation, sorry, segue, come back in a moment, I promise. Uh, I'm talking to Mike and Mike is uh, the second client I ever work with. He's my designer and he's amazing. And uh, what he and I have both kind of learned to do is kind of architect content. So we don't really think about the words. We think about structure first. And so I'm having this book written right now, which I gave you a kind of a pre-release copy of the other day. And I was chatting with the ghost, you know, the kind of the, the editor, the writer person today, who's like taken my con. There you go, perfect that one. Um, and uh, can I be really honest? Uh, the cover looks amazing, and the book reads like dog crap right now. <laughs> okay, it really does. And so I'm chatting with the, the writer, you know, the editor dude today, and he's asking me these technical questions about like, what does that word mean, and what does that word mean? And I'm like, okay, I'm really happy to answer all of those questions, but. The reason the, the book reads like dog crap right now is that you've missed the architecture. So there's a structure for every chapter. And the most important thing about this book for me is that everything that I, I, it's like a, a one-page overview of every chapter, that that stuff goes in. I don't care if the word – you can make the words do whatever you want. But as long as each of these nine things is in each chapter, I'm really happy and it's going to be a killer book. And he just doesn't th- – he didn't think architecture. It's like, it's like you know, they talk about see the forest from the trees. He's in trees. Mm-hmm. Like he's on like – Tree, branch, leaves, sub-branch, <laughs> leaf, tiny insect at the end of leaf. That's where he's at right now. It's like, dude, zoom up. I'm like, did you watch any of the webinars I used to create this? No. Okay, well, that would have been really handy. Number two, have you looked at the, the one-page overview I've given you of every chapter? I looked at it, but I didn't really understand it. Okay, well, the most important thing is that you look at this and you get it because nothing else matters until you do. How do we get there? Oh, yeah, framework. 
<laughs> I, I was going to bring you back anyway. So thank you. Thank, I appreciate that. So here's the thing: um, when it comes to the podcast framework, the most you know, podcast you know uh, structure for every episode, the most important thing for me is like to have a framework first, because at the moment I've got a framework, then I can riff and I can I can improv, but I've got enough structure that it stays on track. And so the kind of the the meta kind of rule that we run in Black Belt for everything is like we freestyle in a framework. So when uh, to make this really practical, what, do I, what does that actually mean? Um, when James and I decided to run this podcast, salesmarketingprofit.com, uh, the very first thing we, you know, I did was going to go, what would I like to be in every episode? Well, if it's going to be a case study, we need, uh, we need a bunch of stuff. And so I just listed them out and it turned into this framework. And I'll, and I'll run through it really quick. There's kind of really three key sections. There's the frustration, there's the fix, and there's the future. So we've got kind of big picture. We're going to introduce the person. So the frustration is who's the person, what was their problem, and what was the impact? We're going to introduce the bad news of the story. So that's the frustration. Then there's the fix. This is what's the framework I taught them? How do they, how do they implement it? And what was the results? Three things. And then the future is like, if, the, if the first two-thirds of the episode is about the, you know, the person who's being case studied, the last third is about the listener. And so the, the, if we go frustration, um, fix and then we get into the future and the future is what are the big lessons uh, what are the prescriptions like what are the first reactions somebody could take right away and then what's like a, a resource that somebody can download off the site to kind of start to implement this thing right away and so like I just built this like three by three grid like a Sudoku like a you know like a knots and crosses and uh, now literally I mean my my uh, my office is full of these, you know, worksheets for various things. I've got my um, my book here. If I go to, let me see if I got one. Yeah, I totally do. I wrote my book on a three by three grid. I built my podcast on this other three by three grid, and so now creating the content is really easy because I've got a framework that's going to make sure that every episode is killer. And now I just go, okay, who's my person? Bob. Okay, write down Bob. What was his problem? What was the impact of the problem? What did I teach? And it's just easy to create great stuff fast. And that was a long way of explaining a really simple question. Hopefully <laughs> no, I think sometimes you have to um, break these things apart. And uh, you, you, you always do a, a really good job of putting things in frameworks because I think that's the way um, a lot of people's minds work. Because if, if, if you just try to literally explain what you do you know we, we walk through case studies it's too ambiguous and people won't understand um yeah. how, how you get there and i think it's so important you need to zoom out a little bit yeah. and get some context and then we can zoom in and get the detail so the, the the problem was what you know i want to create a great episode but i don't want to work very hard and i want every episode to be killer okay so the fix is let's make a, a system for every episode like an architecture almost like you know when you when they lay the foundation of a building they've got you know, a mold and they pour concrete in. That's all I'm doing. Uh, yeah, frame, uh, freestyle in a framework is just, is kind of certainly been my secret weapon for a few years now. Good. And it helps that you're doing it with a friend. Yeah, oh, dude, it's so much easier with a friend. Uh, even my first webinar was with a friend. I think the idea of having a co-pilot, if you think about like every popular drive time radio show, it's like it's never one dude. Uh, maybe it's sometimes it's, it's sometimes it's like some cranky old white guy, right? Who's like, <laughs> you know, half redneck and mostly racist. You know, there's that guy. He's totally there. 
but every like every fun, engaging, funny is it's like a comedy duo or a trio. So just like how do we get a little bit of posse around you so you can just bounce off each other's energy? How how important? Uh, I'd like to track my earlier redneck racist comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can. Uh, no, leave it. Pull it out. Um, how important are friends to you? Oh, super important. Uh, so a little while ago, I wanted to build another framework for like how would I spend like the first hour of my day in a perfect day, and so I made a list of like all the ingredients that would go into a great first start of a day. Tim Ferriss has got this idea that. Uh, his first hour is scripted out in so much detail that he could literally give the script to an actor and they could play his morning perfectly. I think that's just a great idea. And so I was listing out mine and it's like, what would I like? Well, I'd love to kind of um, work out and sweat and like really move and breathe and lift heavy stuff as heavy as like a skinny wake I can do, right? <laughs> uh, uh, I want to get barefoot and outside in, this, in the ocean. Uh, I want to hang out with friends. I want to get my kids ready and take them to school and I want to hang out with Karen Marie. So they're, they're the five things. So... Um, yeah, friends are like everything to me. And uh, the coolest part of my life is having great friends. One of the things I, I kind of started to do a few years ago was make a list of like, who do I want to become best friends with this year? You know, like I'm the sort of person who can, I can, I'm polygamous with best friends. Like I can have lots. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, half the, you know, if you kind of had to go at any random moment, where's Taki? I'm either going to be, you know, traveling the world or at a cafe with buddies. And literally, yeah, I had a meeting with a, a friend the other day and both of us kind of forgot to say where it was going to be. We knew the time and who we were going to meet and we just kind of both walked into the same cafe at the same time. So it's good to like, yeah, have that nice. with your friends. It's cool. Um, how, much, how, much do you, how much time do you spend continuously, you know, learn, I guess, learning, maybe learning versus doing? And, I, and uh, it's more as you, I mean, you've obviously already learned a lot and you've had a lot of mentors along the way, but yeah. as you continue to grow your business, like what do you, does that get lower? Does that, does that percentage get lower and lower as you grow because you've, you're, you've learned a lot or do you make a conscious effort to figure out the things that you don't know? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, I'm certainly consuming less information than I used to. I think one of the, like, I think you just, you find a mentor that you connect with and you, you're probably best off just like blinkering out everything else and just going, I'm going to learn everything this person's got to teach me rather than trying to do seven people's thing because it's, that's hard. Um, now I'm still, I'm still learning as much, but I'm learning from really different sources. So I used to like read every book and, and buy every course that I could. And now I'm, I'm doing two things. Uh, if I've got it, like we talked before about like just-in-time learning, so if I'm working on this thing, I'm going to find uh, you know, who's great at that and buy their stuff or become their friend or find a way to go make an intro and like meet the person and learn everything I can. So I'm learning much more strategically now, I think. You know, I used to learn everything and now I'm learning what I need. And the second thing is I'm learning heaps more from, from doing stuff and thinking it through. And often thinking it through in conversation with you know, my friends or my team, I'm lucky to have really smart friends. Uh, and so some people are kind of really good by themselves. I'm not. I, I definitely need a crew around me. And so uh, both in my work but also in my learning, I'm quite, you know, quite a team dude. 
And so I'm like, okay, so this is the problem we've got to figure out. Uh, how do we, you know, what ideas have you got? And so I'll, I'll talk to kind of three or four friends who happen to be great at that thing and I'll synthesize a bunch of ideas and go, okay, great. How do we, how do we make that us? So we're not, because like if you take somebody else's strategy, it doesn't always work for you. You've got to us it. And then we roll it out and, and learn. But I'm, I'm learning a lot from like from the journey more than I am from like the books right now. There's a, there's a great book years ago called The Inner Game of Tennis, I think it was called. A guy called Tim Galway. And he used to teach people tennis. And most tennis coaches would go, you know, like, uh, you know, adjust your elbow and twi- tweak your wrist and, and like, te- you know, like move this. And so people feel really awkward. And he had this really interesting way of helping people to make their tennis game better. He'd say, um, I want you, as the ball comes over the net, I want you to just notice which way it's spinning. And so people would like hyper-focus on which way the ball was spinning and their body would just naturally do what it needed to do. And I think learning from the tennis ball is way better than learning from the tennis coach. I'm doing more of that. What do your, uh, what do your parents think about what you do now? Uh, they're really excited and proud. They don't really get it, but they think it's cool. Um, up until like two years ago, my dad was still trying to get me to go work for the government, which I thought was, <laughs> which was really funny. I'm actually... It's really weird. I'm like, I've got uh, my mom, my dad, and my stepdad are the, kind of the three big influences. Uh, yeah, parentally, I got three, and uh, I think I'm like the perfect storm of all of them. Like, my mom's a teacher, and so I've got mom's personality and love of teaching. My dad is a management consultant, and there's kind of some obvious correlations there. And my so that's my stepdad. My dad is an architect, and I just think like, I think that really sums me up really nicely. I love to teach. I'm I'm always. Like I'm building structure and, and framework and architecting out, you know, plans and customer experiences and, and campaigns. And I like to think, like to, I like to kind of think and t- and train the way dad, uh, my stepdad did. So, I mean, I'm kind of like, I think I've got bits of each of them in me and and uh, we connect really well over all of those. My step, my, my dad doesn't really know what I do. Uh, I mean, he knows but he doesn't understand it. And mum and dad are, mum and my stepdad are, are really, uh, yeah, I guess proud. I don't know. <laughs> Do you think about um, the influences of your parents? And I, I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer as it yeah. relates to what you're trying to show to your kids now. Uh, yeah. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. There's parts of mom and my stepdad and my dad that are, Amazing, and and there's parts of all three of them that aren't, you know, that are, but that's just like me. I'm sure my kids are going to say the exact same. I hope they do. They do exactly what I do. I'm sh- I used to, when my uh, two of my sons were really little, I used to put them to bed at night. And I used to whisper in their ear, "You are having a happy childhood. You are having a happy childhood." I just figured like it would save on therapy bills later. You know, like. Uh, how was your childhood? I don't remember all the details, but I remember I was really happy. Dad was amazing, you know? <laughs> That's funny. I hope they don't copy that. Um, there's parts of each of them that I, that I really love. So um, mom just has this infectious love of people and, and life. Uh, we've got a, a, a word that we use in our family called a life artist, and I think mom is just a great life artist. You know, the art of doing life well. Mom's just great at that, you know, full of passion and inspiration. She's just so into everything. Everything she says, you've got like half it or double it. You know, it's never, never an accurate number. It's always like the best thing ever or the worst thing, you know. Um, my, my stepdad is, is really wise and I loved his 
principledness. You know, he's really uh, right is right and wrong is wrong and and just morally right. Just a, you know, a wonderful guy. Um, really selfless, incredibly generous, uh, very structured and disciplined in a way that I, I'm I'm not. But uh, yeah, he was hard sometimes when it, when he uh, and that helped me a lot. You know, like um, can't all be soft, right? You, he's got to be hard sometimes. Um, challenged me heaps. It was good. He's probably called me, uh, challenged me on more stuff and called me higher than any of the three did. And then uh, my dad. I think my dad just taught me to to love beauty. He liked to kind of see form and. And appreciate design, um, and also I guess in his own way showed me how to. I don't know. I've learned lots, lots to do and lots to not do from all three. Let's yeah. just say. <laughs> <laughs> what I what I noticed um, is consistent with you is your attitude. In general, it seems to be about life is always positive, and you've always got a smile on your face. And, yeah, and it's also like, and it's not to say that life isn't hard sometimes, right? Like tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be in hospital with Ethan, who's uh, 15, and uh, dude, we're not looking forward to it at all. We've got this big operation that that's, uh, you know, the last time we had this this surgery was three years ago, and it went horrendously wrong. You know, it, they did nerve damage, and uh, he couldn't walk for a year and a half. So imagine like your son is in bed for a year and a half, can't stand up, and uh, he's in agony, like literally excruciating pain. If you if you touched his little toe with a feather, it felt like you were burning it with fire, hmm. just horrible. He was on oxycodone and morphine for ages and it's just it's hell on earth. Anyway, so tomorrow we've got that uh, and we're really worried about it. Um, and, uh, you know, there's things you can control and things you can't. And, uh, dude, I mean, I, frankly, everything's crossed, like fingers, toes, everything. We, want, we hope it goes great. But right now our job is to kind of support Ethan and uh, life's not always rosy but it, you know you don't have to be kind of grumpy about it <laughs> i suppose is the short answer uh, yeah it I, seem to help. yeah i mean I, I i think i'm was wondering how in general like you handle adversity um i don't know i think i talk it through with good friends that helps mm-hmm. uh a lot Kerry Marie and I have a meeting every Tuesday morning and we just kind of, I just got it because I'm a nerd. I write three, you know, nine boxes and I just write down nine things I've got no idea what to do with and she helps me figure it out. That's really helpful. Um, I tend to look, you know, look at the, I'm quite resourceful. Like I, I tend to think that there's a way. Like this morning we, when we started our, our Skype call today, the stupid me was in a place with great internet and, and it echoed and I didn't have my microphone. And so I like I tried like three ways to get the mic to, to work before giving up and kind of coming back home. Uh, so I tend to believe that there's almost always something we can do to make it better. There's always definitely something you can do to make it worse. Yeah. So if there's something you can do to make it worse, I'm sure there's something you can do to make it better. I think that's a really important uh, takeaway because um, it's really like a half empty, half full. Yeah. I remember hearing when I lived in Brazil – I would like, this girl dumped me, right? And uh, so I'm like completely down in the dumps. And I, uh, my friend had this, um, you know, my cousins had, had these cassette tapes of like motivational dudes. Like there was a Zig Ziglar translated into Portuguese. So, you know, 
my Portuguese wasn't that great, but I, and he, he started off his talk and he said, uh, <clears throat> how many of you, I can't remember word for word, but this was the idea. It was like, how many of you right now in the next seven days could do something that would make your, your health, your relationships, your career even worse? Hands up. Like, think about it. Like, in the next seven days, you could, like, you could, you could eat Krispy Kreme. You could, uh, you all sorts of stuff you could do to make it worse. Yeah. Um, he goes, okay. And on the flip side, how many of you here, if you, if you really have to put your mind to it, there's something you could do that would make your health, your relationships, your, your career, your whatever, uh, a little bit better. Hands up. And everyone puts their hands up. He goes, great. So, what you just said is, I'm responsible. I was like, whoa, what a great, it's a simple idea, but it's completely true. Thank you, Zig. Uh, I think there's always something you can do to make it worse, always something you can do to make it better. And uh, making it worse is just a bad choice. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a dumb idea. Let's not do that. What's what's fascinating is uh, earlier you talked about all these this training that you received and you know the Tony Robbins and the NLP and yeah, some um, of it worked, right? I I I I think I'm gonna push back a bit and say that some of it. Maybe because it was an LP that you weren't supposed to realize it was working. I totally, yeah, I totally transformed like a caterpillar into a butterfly without knowing it. And here I am effortlessly. Yeah, it's probably true. I'm sure that I'm sure there was some of that. Very cool. Um, yeah. Just a couple more questions. Sure. Uh, what have you uh, changed your mind about recently? Oh, what a great question. Uh, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> yeah, when my, when my mom got together with my stepdad, the very first meal – he made us had uh, six Brussels sprouts on my plate, and I grew up. Uh, if we, mum mostly made us stuff that we actually enjoyed. If we didn't like it, she'd make something else, and she was really accommodating like that. And Dad grew up in this: you eat what's on your plate because it's what's on your plate. And you know, there's starving kids in Africa, and I, I protested and said, "Well, you know, how does me eating the food I don't like actually help them? Like, it's going to end up in the rubbish bin all the toilet. Either way, they're not going to. Anyway, it didn't go that great either. Anyway, so I, I he made me eat the Brussels sprouts, and I hated his guts for like seven years. Like, I hated his guts. Anyway, we were just in America, and uh, twice I ordered stuff with Brussels sprouts, and they were amazing. I think they were cooked in like if you overcook them, yeah. Versus if you cook them in bacon, you know, like, everything's better with bacon. That's so true. I changed my mind about Brussels sprouts. <laughs> um, what's the uh, one most misunderstood thing about you? Uh, I don't know. I feel pretty understood. Um. I don't know. I feel pretty understood, <laughs> to be honest. Um, is that because yeah. is that is that and as, is that an aspect of you living your life as genuinely as possible? Then maybe, or maybe it's just because I don't know what other people think or don't think about me, or you don't care. I yeah, I totally don't care. Uh, yeah, I never really thought about it. Uh, oh, I think. I don't know if it's misunderstood, but let's, let me kind of, can I change the question? I wish I had more hair. I wish I had hair like you. <laughs> That's the one, my one regret right now is it's, it's going and it's going gray. And I'm not, I'm not a fan of either of those two things. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. So, um, what's got, what's got you, uh, most excited about 2016? Uh, adventures. Um, yeah, I haven't decided where, but there's going to be some adventures next year. I'm really excited about, uh, about exploring some new places and meeting a bunch of new people and uh, and getting a little bit wild, I think. Like not party wild, but like, uh, you know, a little bit jungly. You know, I just want to explore. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? I want to explore a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
went to heaps of, heaps of cool places today. Uh, sorry, this year it was great. Um, but I think, yeah, comfort zones are, are cool, but there's times for adventure, and I, I think I'm ready for a little bit of uh, exploring new places and and uh, doing some stuff. Putting those putting those big rocks in. Yeah, totally. Like I, I think uh, we've got a, a brand new client called Jiro who uh, took our mutual friend uh, Shrammy, James Shramko, out surfing to the Maldives. Um, I can't surf very well, but I think you know that kind of like adventure trip sounds like really fun. Uh, I want to do more adventures this year. It seems like that's a amazing and awesome thing to aspire to. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of your life, what do you got? You got like you know relationships and memories. I want to kind of get better at both of those. That's an amazing way to wrap this up. Huh. <laughs> Never thought about that before, but it's, I think it's true, right? Yeah. It's really good. Really good advice. A lot of, a lot of uh, interesting takeaways, and I think uh, listeners will get a lot out of this episode. Um, so if folks want to track you down online, what's, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, coachmarketingmachine.com is, is the main place with, uh, with uh, blog, videos, heaps of cool stuff, and a podcast. Um, coachmarketingmachine.com. Taki. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I knew we were going to be able to figure out the, uh, the technical snafus. <laughs> we got there. It's awesome. Dude, this has been really fun. Thanks for yeah. hanging out. It's just been a joy to be in your world for a little bit. And uh, looking forward to catching up soon. Yeah, man. It's going to be awesome. So I think you got a feel for just uh, how in, in inspiring it is to work with someone like uh, Taki because he, it's, he, just, he always takes a, a positive outlook on situations and he's no stranger to adversity as you heard from the stories um, of what's happening with his his uh, his family and his kids and it's just something that struck me and it's and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have a, a longer conversation with him just for you guys to understand and, and know him um, and since you may have may have heard me mention him in the past um, it's cool that you got to spend an hour with him and me. So I just love the fact that we have a choice when we decide on how we ha- want to handle adversity. Look at the at the situation as a glass half full or glass half empty. And, and I think more and more what I've been trying to do is look at it from a half full perspective because at the end of the day, we, we have the, the choice ourselves. It's in, it's in our power to totally control um, our outlook on adversity and on challenges in life and they're not going to stop happening it's it's not like there's going to be one magical day when there's no more uh challenges in front of us so they're going to keep happening and i think if we put ourselves in a mindset that we're prepared um, in the best way to handle them then i think we'll um get through them with uh, a higher degree of success and um, it's inspiring to to hear that people um, can do that in a way um, when it comes to some of the most challenging things that they, they may have to um, confront. So uh, I hope you got something out of it. I hope you were inspired by the conversation. As always, you can see uh, all the, the details on podcastjunkies.com slash 68 for the show notes, which I highly encourage you to always check out week over week. It, there's a post for every episode. Uh, we're a proud member of Podcastica at checkoutpodcastica.com and see all the shows that are in the network. And I highly encourage you to check out a couple and download them and see if uh, they can become part of your regular podcast listening schedule. 
Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Check out cedarsoil.com for more details and to see what uh, George is always up to. Uh, he's a fantastic and incredible producer and um, always encouraging people to check that out if you can. If um, you want to support the show, then uh, there's three ways. You can subscribe to the show. And subscribing is always, always uh, better than just downloading. Because if you just download, it's almost like you're, um, you're at the buffet table and it's like a la carte. You're, you're grabbing some string beans and a little bit of rice. Um, and then, you know, you're just nitpicking at your plate. And, it's, and you don't get the full smorgasbord of uh, what Podcast Junkies has to offer. So by subscribing, you get the full buffet. So imagine you go there and you get the rice and the... And the core and the corn and the carrots and the peas and the steak and the chicken and the fish and uh, and the tofu for my vegetarian friends and so you get the the full um, taste and the cornucopia of everything the show has to offer and and then you can see um, and really experience um, the variety of shows and hosts that I've had on so uh, do that subscribe secondly uh, tell guests and uh, friends. Not tell guests. I have the guests. You have the friends. You tell them, and then they hear the guests. That's how it works. Tell them about the show and uh, encourage them to subscribe and to uh, download and at least check out one episode. Maybe find one episode that you really enjoyed and then send them that link. How awesome would that be? And then last but not least, um, rating and review. Those are always awesome. And uh, if you tell people to do that as well, then you're part of the uh, podcast Junkies Junkies uh, Army. And that would be fantastic so i love uh putting all this work in weekend weekend and week out for you guys and i'm um, hope hoping you're enjoying it as well so if you've listened this far then the uh the retention hashtag for this week is going to be barefoot talky and we touched upon the reason why that is the tag in the show and and uh if you've listened to the episode this far then you obviously know why so uh hashtag barefoot talky and so that's Barefoot, and then Taki, T-A-K-I, and then tag uh, myself, Podcast Junkies, um, Podcast underscore Junkies, sorry, and Taki, at Taki Moore on Twitter, and let us know that you are truly the super fans of the show. Thanks again, guys, and uh, have a fantastic week, and I'll catch up with you next Monday with a brand new episode. <laughs>